When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, Dr. Gupta. What kind of research is being done on children, both catching COVID and infecting others? Do you feel that parents should feel comfortable sending their students to school? How are teachers supposed to handle this new multi-person exposure, and how do they prevent spreading the disease to themselves and to their families? Lately, I've been getting a lot of questions about what's going to happen with schools. I get it. I have three girls going into 6th grade, 8th grade, and 10th grade. I can hardly believe it. So this is the number one topic in our house right now. From the very beginning, we maximized kind of the safety protocols. We said we're going we're gonna to do the absolute limit of distancing, masking, sanitizing, and so forth. I went to visit my daughter's school in Atlanta and talked with their headmaster, Keith Evans. Like so many others, he's trying to figure out the safest way to get kids back into the classroom. Each day, we are in conversation about what's going on in the broader context. Is this, is this, is this pretty stressful for you? I mean, trying to, I mean, every day you're getting new information. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's um, kind of just become normal. We're making plans, setting them aside, making new plans, setting those aside, making new plans. Unfortunately, even now, six months after the first U.S. cases of coronavirus, we still don't know exactly what role kids play in transmission. And exposure is still a concern for many teachers. The teachers' union in Los Angeles says schools should stay closed next month when the new academic year begins. And they're not alone. Adding to the uncertainty, some states with rising case counts have announced plans to reopen schools anyway, going against advice from public health experts. Earlier this week, Vice President Pence spoke at Louisiana State University about it. To be very clear, we don't want CDC guidance to be a reason why, why people don't reopen their schools. There have been a lot of mixed messages going around. So what are the real risks of sending children back to school? And what role should public health organizations like the CDC play in shaping our policy on school reopenings? I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus. Fact versus fiction. You know, I'm, I'm a pediatrician. And one of the things that gives me some hope during this pandemic is that, thankfully, uh, most children who get this infection will do well. That's Dr. Rich Besser, the president of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Not only is Rich a pediatrician, he's also the former acting director of the CDC. So I thought he was the perfect person to ask. When it comes to children, what are the risks we should be weighing? What we're seeing from the data is that uh, for most children, the, the risk of having a severe infection, uh, the risk of dying from this infection is, is low. We do know about this inflammatory syndrome, and we're learning more information about that. And what it raises for me is that everyone has to assess that risk and their comfort with that risk and make their own decisions. If the only thing we're focused on, the only thing we're talking about is we want to reduce as low 
low as possible the, the risk that a child will be infected, we won't let kids out of the house. Um, but that, I don't think, is the right equation because it, it underestimates the damage to children in terms of development and their emotional well-being from not being able to be kids. I mean, this is the conversation that I have with my wife all the time, I think, are happening probably in, at kitchen tables all over the country, all over the world. Typically, when I think of respiratory viruses, I think of kids actually becoming uh, more susceptible to this. Um, they're the little germ factories. Is it, is it sound reasonable to you that this novel coronavirus would behave differently? Does that just make sense to you conceptually? The, the aspect of children in this infection that I think is so critically important to understand is what role do children play in spreading this disease through the community? And, you know, the reason schools were shut down wasn't because of concern, wow, children can get infected. It was from what we know about influenza and flu. And with flu, children are amplifiers. And so the, the reason there was such a big push to shut down schools, well, a lot was lessons that were learned from the 1918 flu pandemic, where kids were amplifiers and cities that closed schools early were able to contain this. But the data from around the world um, are really raising questions as to whether that's what's happening here. There are a number of studies that have looked at households uh, in terms of doing contact tracing, and very rarely have they found a situation where the child was the one who introduced it into the home. If children are not the amplifier, then it becomes a question of, okay, how do you open schools in a safe way so that staff and teachers are, are protected and that children aren't, aren't bringing it home to people who are at greater risk, but there would be much less concern that, that children will spread this you know, all over a community. You, you bring up teachers uh, and faculty yeah. and staff. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, about a quarter of, of faculty would be considered vulnerable in some way, either because of age or because of pre-existing conditions. The idea of a school setting being very risky or, you know, considerably risky to the faculty. How, how, do, you, how do you balance that? Yeah, I, I think that's critically important. And uh, you do that by trying to provide uh, as much protection as, as possible. Uh, ensuring that every school, not just wealthy schools, are able to retrofit in ways that we think are important. If we feel that airflow matters and you want to have air turning over in an indoor setting more frequently, that costs money. Uh, if you want to have staff who, who are going into classrooms every day to decontaminate, that, that takes hiring additional staff. Uh, screening students and staff every day for symptoms and maybe temperature checks. Uh, that takes resources. Decompressing classrooms so there aren't as many children in that space. A lot of schools don't have that space. So there need to be federal funds to make sure that's happening so that you're reducing risk, that teachers have personal protective equipment. And then there needs to be opt-out. There needs to be the opportunity for teachers to teach remotely um, or to be supported if they're not able to work during this time. And making sure systems in place so that everyone has that opportunity to make the right choice based on their own health and circumstances. Those things are really important. You have two sons. I have three daughters. Your sons are out of college now, so it's not a issue. But if they were 10 years younger, would you be uh, in favor of sending them back to school? Well, the CDC has laid out what needs to be in place for schools to reopen. And 
you know, if those things are in place, yeah, I would be comfortable with my children going to school. Um, but I am very doubtful that the schools in America will have met the criteria that are being laid out to make it a safe experience. And I'm really worried that the political pressure to reopen schools, uh, the, the clash of messages between what public health is saying needs to be in place and what people in, in politics are saying should be happening um, is going to lead to some schools reopening that aren't safe. They're not safe for teachers. They're not safe for staff. They're not safe for, for, for children who may be bringing this home to family. Let me, let me ask you one thing that's in the, in the news, um, and that is something I found very interesting as a journalist but also as a doctor, that the data regarding coronavirus-confirmed diagnoses now uh, will be going through the Department of Health and Human Services uh, instead of going directly to the CDC and maybe not be publicly available. You used to run the CDC. What are we to make of this? Yeah, you know, I, I find it really worrisome. Given how political the response has been to date, it's a step backwards to have these data going directly to HHS in Washington. It's another example of CDC being sidelined. And one of the nice things about CDC being in Atlanta, being away from Washington, is that we're able to avoid a lot of the political pressure that you get when you're in D.C. And what I worry with the data going directly to HHS is that it could be further politicized. And that's the last thing you want. CDC is the nation's public health agency. Uh, not only should the data be coming to CDC, but CDC should be talking to the public through the media every day so that you and other journalists can be asking tough questions. Um, CDC should answer that question. Well, it, you know, is it truly safe for children to go back to school? What about the teachers? What are you doing to protect? That, that leads to a better outcome. It's not just CDC communicating what they're learning. It's CDC being interrogated, being asked and forced to answer those really, really hard questions. At the end of the day, every family is going to have to evaluate for themselves the risks and the rewards of sending their kids back to school. But I want to tell you this. Part of your decision-making process should involve looking at what's happening in your community and keeping an eye specifically on where the case counts are going. Also, pay attention to the guidance from public health experts. As Dr. Besser said, the CDC has an important role to play in making sure families can make informed decisions. You don't have to do this alone. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them in our next podcast. We'll be back Monday. Thanks for listening. Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer, along with Amanda Seeley and Nadia Kunang from CNN Health. Raj Makija is the senior manager of production operations. This week's episodes were produced by Anne Lagamayo, Evan Chung, Zach St. Louis, and Zoe Saunders, with additional help from Michael Nettleman. Our associate producers are Emily Liu, Aaron Mathewson, Madeline Thompson, and Rachel Cohn. Nathan Miller is our engineer, and David Toledo is the team's production assistant. Special thanks to executive producer of CNN Health, Ben Tinker, as well as Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio.
We all do things our own way, and since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 